Hello once again, everybody, and thank you for joining me in the Betters Box. This is ATS.io's MLB betting podcast for Monday, June 28th. I'm your host, Adam Burke. A change today to the daily article over at ATS.io for you to check out. What I'm going to do is use the old article, the old page, as an intro, then list any picks that I have for the day that are going to be written in individual pick and preview form now. So it's going to be a much more streamlined process, a lot easier than reading 5,000, 6,000 words a day, whatever that daily article was. May not focus as much on games that I don't have plays on anymore. Trying to streamline the process a little bit because look, football season's coming very, very quickly. There are a lot of things that I need to be working on, things I need to focus on both for the site and individually here. So figure that would be a good change to the article. So you can read the three picks that I have for today over at ATS.io and keep in mind that format change as we go forward here. My picks are still tracked in the ATS app, which you can download from the Google Play Store or from the Apple Store. It's a bet tracker, an odd screen, a stats database, full article integration from the website. And you can download that for your Android or iOS devices. So I very much encourage you to check out that app today. We'll talk with Brian Blessing on Tuesday. We'll talk some golf, some NHL playoffs, game one tonight in the Stanley Cup Finals. So we'll get a look at Montreal and Tampa Bay and then talk about what we saw in game one and discuss the rest of the series on tomorrow's show. And we still have lots of other great content going on over at the ATS.io website as well. WNBA content, NBA playoffs, NHL playoffs. I'll have a golf preview for you this week. A big UFC pay-per-view coming in two weeks that I'll be able to write about next week. So lots of stuff going on over at ATS.io for you to check out. Lots of stuff going on in Major League Baseball as well. So let's go ahead and get into the show today. Traditional format for us. We'll start beyond the box score, take a look down the lines, and recap some line moves from the weekend. Give you a couple picks for tonight's action, and then a preview of five series here for the week ahead. So let's go ahead and start with a look beyond the box score and take an update after the weekend here of the offensive numbers around Major League Baseball since June 3rd. Now, June 3rd was a big day. That was the first MLB memo that went out. The second one, June 15th. And of course, on June 21st, we started seeing the crackdown. And we did have our first pitcher ejected over the weekend. That was Hector Santiago of the Seattle Mariners. Says he was only using rosin and sweat. We'll see if Major League Baseball tests the substance that's there or whatever this process is going to be. But Santiago ejected from the game and there will be a subsequent suspension. And now it will be interesting to see what happens in terms of the appeal process and all of that because umpires are being given a lot of power right now. They don't really know what the substances are in the moment. So if a pitcher is using something within the letter of the law, like rosin and a sweat combination, something like that, you know, it's very hot, obviously, a lot of these games right now, and especially the day games, well, that's not really illegal. So Hector Santiago doesn't deserve to be suspended for something that's not illegal. So now we'll get to see what this process looks like if there's due process for the players. You know, They took the, the glove, uh, they were going to you know seal that and then Uh, analyze what they found I don't know the whole thing is it continues to be a mess but we'll see what happens here as we finally have our first pitcher ejected and that suspension looming down the line here for Hector Santiago but in any event 
offense since June 3rd, 243 average, 317 on base, 409 slugging, a 316 weighted on base average, 23.4% strikeout rate, 8.7% walk rate. And we had a pretty decent slugging percentage drop over the weekend. And, you know, when you look at what happened from June 3rd till now, yes, the slugging percentage is up and up a pretty good amount, but it did go down over the weekend. It was about 413 from June 3rd going into Thursday's show when we last talked. Now down to 409. On base percentage and batting average stayed about the same. The home run to fly ball percentage, based on what we saw over the weekend, pretty big drop. That's down about half a percent from where it was on Thursday. So that's a pretty interesting development right there. But pitchers are adjusting. And of course, as we talk about sample sizes that are this small, there is a lot of noise. There is a lot of variance. You know, are more games being played in pitchers' parks versus hitters' parks? Well, that's going to certainly move around a lot of these numbers in these small sample sizes. So pitchers are making their adjustments. And admittedly, you know, I would have expected home run to fly ball percentage to stay high with the weather, the warmer conditions, and all of that. But it does appear that pitchers are trying to find whatever they can possibly find to try and get back some of the advantage that they lost. And something I thought was really interesting here is that when we look generically at fastball percentage from fan graphs, so generically, this is four seam, two seam, sinker, cutter, uh, you know, all those different types of things. All of the fastball variants get grouped together, except for splitters, which is called a split finger fastball, but it's really not. All the fastball variants get grouped together at fan graphs. So for the season here, the fastball percentage is 51%. Through June 2nd, it was 50.9%. Average fastball velocity, 93.4 miles per hour. Since June 3rd, oddly enough, fastball usage has gone up to 51.2%. Velocity also up to 93.6%. So the reason why this is very interesting to me is because when we talk about the spin rate crackdown, We've primarily been looking at the impact on fastballs because breaking balls have always been hard to hit anyway. They've always had the higher spin rates. Certainly the spin rates are much higher now with the use of substances that was going on. But the real reason that offense declined in Major League Baseball was because of spin rate increases on fastballs. Yeah, there's the shift and and the alterations to the baseball and so on and so forth. But a lot of it has to do with hitters weren't doing as well on fastballs anymore. And a big part of that was the spin rate increase. So I would have thought, okay, they're going to crack down on substances. Fastball usage will go down. Guys will throw more sliders and curveballs and change-ups and all those sorts of things. But fastball usage grouped as a whole has actually gone up. However, let's dig deeper into the data because the fan graphs number is very simplified. It's all kinds of fastballs. But over at Fangraphs, you can also look at Pitch Info Solutions data. And one of the biggest jumps here is with sinker usage. Sinker usage since June 3rd, 15.3%. It was 14.4% up until that point. So four-seam fastball usage is down a little bit, but we're seeing more sinkers and two-seamers out of pitchers. So that's one adjustment that pitchers have made here so far. And the ground ball percentage is up one-tenth of a percentage point, so it's not up a lot. But we are seeing a lot more sinkers out of pitchers now than we were seeing previously. Almost a full percent 
usage increase with sinkers. So that's one adjustment that pitchers have tried to make. Another one, as I mentioned, fastball velocity is up. So pitchers are trying to do what they can to adjust. And and that's really the biggest thing about all of this. And, And the biggest thing in general is that it's much easier for pitchers to adjust to some of these things than it is for hitters. I mean, hitters are still at the mercy of what a pitcher throws, where the location is, and all of that. Pitchers can change their arsenals. They can do things differently. They can try to reach back and throw a little bit harder. Hitters, you know, maybe you make a swing change, something mechanical, something with your swing, you know, your swing plane. Uh, You move your feet in the batter's box. You kind of change your load, something like that. But, you know, you can't make the same kind of changes that pitchers can to just throw you something altogether different. So that is one adjustment that pitchers have made here so far is to throw more sinkers and to throw more two seamers where spin rate isn't quite as important as it is with a four seam fastball. So that's a big difference. And I do wonder if maybe that's something that pitchers around the league have kind of picked up on a little bit. And perhaps that's why the home run to fly ball percentage went down a little bit over the weekend. Guys not really digging out those sinkers as effectively. So that's a big change. Two seamers are a big change. And so, you know, again, pitchers have this ability just simply by the nature of the game to adjust better to these changes, these fundamental differences in Major League Baseball than hitters do. So that's one of the changes that they made here so far. And we'll see if that's something that continues to take place here. Something else I want to take a look at, I was wondering if the decreased spin rate has had any sort of effect or impact on high-velocity contact, because that's something I look at a lot. I look at hard hit percentage quite a bit, and that's a statistic that looks at percentage of batted balls hit at least 95 miles per hour. It's a really important stat, because as you get up there in terms of contact quality and exit velocity, the more success that you're going to have. So for the full season here, Batting average on batted balls of 95 plus miles per hour sits at 493 with a 618 weighted on base average. Now from April 1st to June 2nd, the batting average was 489 with a WOBA of 612. Now from June 3rd to June 27th, so that encompasses the first memo, the second memo, and then the umpire examination and the crackdown that we started seeing on June 21st, The batting average on high-velocity contact is now 503 with a 632 weighted on base average. So more home runs. That's something that we have seen definitively since the first memo went out. And also, I think the weather kind of has a pretty big impact on all of this. Because when you look at average exit velocity of batted balls of 95-plus miles per hour, from April 1st to June 2nd, the average in that sample set was 101.8 miles per hour. The average from June 3rd to June 27th is 101.8 miles per hour. So we're not seeing balls get hit any harder. We're just seeing better outcomes and better results on them. So maybe this is noise. Maybe this is a small sample size thing. Maybe it's weather related. I think, you know, the WOBA is up because of the increase in home runs. But, you know, we are seeing some measure of better outcomes, even though hitters aren't making harder contact. And that was something that we kind of expected to take place was with decreased spin, decreased movement, less late movement. I think a lot of us probably expected hitters to make 
harder quality contact. To this point, at least based on exit velocity, that has not been the case, at least in terms of high velocity contact. So I thought that was something really interesting. And as we look at 100 plus mile per hour batted balls, full season batting average 587, full season Woba 770. From April 1st to June 2nd, 582 was the batting average, 761 on the Woba. So from June 3rd to June 27th, a 599 batting average. So that's up 17 points from where it was earlier this season. And the Woba up 30 points to 791. But again, in this sample set of batted balls of 100 plus miles per hour, average exit velocity from April 1st to June 2nd, 104.7. From June 3rd to June 27th, 104.6. So guys are not hitting the ball any harder, but they're having better outcomes on this high velocity contact. Probably because the ball is carrying a little bit more, uh, you know, the warmer weather certainly helping where you're getting you know, fly balls that may have been caught in April and early May that are now landing on the warning track or landing over the fence, something like that. So I don't know if this necessarily has anything to do with the spin rate crackdown. My guess would be to some degree it does, but I think a lot of it is weather related as well. Um, You know, maybe pitchers kind of changing their arsenals, something like that. But we have seen better success, better outcomes on high velocity contact, even though guys aren't hitting the ball any harder. So maybe just a correction of variance, maybe the weather, as I said, it could have something to do with the spin rate. We're just going to need more data before we can find that out. So you know, again, in this small sample size of 24 days, you know, it's, it's not that big, you know, it's not that definitive necessarily, but you know, offense is up around the league and that is something that has been true throughout the course of the last 24 days here. So, you know, just something more to keep following as we all kind of adjust to this new normal of Major League Baseball. Something I thought would be kind of interesting to take a look at here uh, is, you know, pitcher strikeout percentages and walk percentages as a team to see if there are any teams that maybe have been more uh, negatively impacted by the spin rate crackdown than others. Now, of course, keep in mind here, You're talking about a time period of April 1st to June 2nd, and then June 3rd to June 27th. So between April 1st and June 2nd, you play a lot of different kinds of teams. From June 3rd to June 27th, you may not. You just simply may not play teams that strike out a lot, or teams that walk a lot, or something like that. So there is a lot of noise in what I'm about to say, but I think it's kind of interesting to take a look at anyway, to to see... You know, if there are teams that are more impacted by this spin rate crackdown, and the ironic thing is, the biggest decrease in strikeout percentage over the two time periods is the New York Yankees. Their strikeout percentage from April 1st to June 2nd, down 6% over the last 24 days. And that's almost exclusively Garrett Cole. So Garrett Cole very much negatively impacted by this spin rate crackdown to the point where he's had a huge strikeout percentage decrease. Obviously, the numbers and the results have not been good for him. So the Yankees are at the top of this list. And the thing that's really interesting about it is that on Thursday when I talked, there were 29 of the 30 teams, or maybe it was last Monday's show, 29 of the 30 teams had experienced a four-seam fastball spin rate decrease. The one team that had not 
was the New York Yankees. But with Garrett Cole's decreased spin rate now, their strikeout percentage is down quite a bit. They've gone from being a top 10 team to being a bottom 10 team, just largely because of what this spin rate crackdown has done to Garrett Cole. And Garrett Cole, of course, signing that $324 million deal prior to the season last year. So that's pretty interesting to say the least. But the Yankees, with the biggest K percentage decrease, and a lot of that is Garrett Cole. So, you know, there's really not a whole lot, I think, to take away from that, except to say, you know, except to basically illustrate, I should say, the impact that Garrett Cole has when it comes to strikeouts and strikeout percentage. Next on the list here is interesting. The Detroit Tigers down 3.1%. And I don't really know why this is. I know that Casey Mize, you know, has had the the spin rate and the velocity decreases. uh, But, you know, Tarek Skubal has kind of picked up his strikeout rate and all of that. I don't really know what, you know, the, the whole thing is behind that. I'm not sure if it's an injury that's had a big impact on the strikeout percentage. But I did think that was interesting. Maybe it has something to do with the teams that they've played. I don't know. But the Tigers' K percentage down 3.1% over the last 24 days. And one thing that is a little bit interesting, and and again, you know, you try to walk a very fine line with these things and and not be accusatory, but you do have A.J. Hinch there in the dugout, who was obviously with the Astros as they were doing all of their things. So, you know, you want to put two and two together. I don't know if it necessarily equals four in this situation, but the Tigers with a 3.1% strikeout decrease from pre-first memo to post-first memo. The Pirates down 3%. That doesn't surprise me at all. I've talked a lot about the Pirates, about their spin rate decreases, especially with regards to their bullpen guys. And that will have a significant you know, impact on strikeout percentage because relievers do tend to strike out a lot of guys. So that is one where we've got a pretty big drop there. And I do think I have some degree of an explanation for that. The Padres down 2.8%. And now Denilson Lamette, now he's on the IL, so that'll probably drop a little bit more. The Royals down 2.6%. The Orioles down 2.2%. Then the Twins also down 2.2%. And something I think is really interesting about this list of teams here is that, you know, the Yankees are above 500. The Padres are a solid team. But the Tigers, you know, while they've played a lot better and they're 25 and 20 over their last 45 games, there's still, you know, a, a borderline last place team. The Pirates are a last place team. Royals and Twins tied for last. Orioles, a last place team. So these are teams that already didn't have high strikeout rates, but now experiencing these decreases, I think that's kind of interesting. Maybe something to follow. Maybe there's nothing to it. Maybe it's just noise or competition level or something like that. But, you know, just kind of wanted to mention it on today's show. One thing I will say is that, Up until June 2nd, there were zero teams with a strikeout percentage under 20%. From June 3rd to June 27th, there are three teams under 20% now, the Pirates, the Diamondbacks, and the Tigers. So, you know, three obviously very bad teams, and now lower strikeout rates, whether that's a spin rate crackdown thing or just, you know, competition, something like that. Again, still kind of interesting to watch. Something else I thought was interesting to take a look at here, too, Teams that are under the microscope, you know, for, uh, you know, being accused of using substances or maybe seeing these big spin rate increases, you know, the Cincinnati Reds, I mean, they call them spin-cinnati, you know, because of what they've been doing at the minor league and major league levels to develop more spin. Trevor Bauer was there, had the big spin rate increases. 
Tyler Mayle, same thing for him. Well, even with this spin rate crackdown, over the last 24 days, Cincinnati's K percentage as a staff is up 1.8% from where it was earlier on in the season. So if they were using substances and stopped, it hasn't had any sort of impact on them at the major league level. The Astros are down 0.3%. The Rays are up 0.7%. So those were a couple of teams that, or a few teams that are kind of under the radar for this whole spin rate crackdown thing. As far as other teams that I've noticed with spin rate decreases, the Red Sox and the Braves, the Red Sox down 1.9% in the K percentage department, although they've also played Houston and some other really good teams in there. And the Braves are down 0.9%. So I think you really look for here is that, you know, some of these bullpens have really experienced these spin rate decreases. Those are probably the teams that will have the biggest K percentage drops. So I thought, okay, maybe walk percentage is a better indicator. Well, the Reds are up 1.8% in strikeout rate and down 1.5% in walk rate. So they've gone in the right direction both ways with this spin rate crackdown. So, you know, a team that's kind of at the forefront of developing spin rate, their strikeout percentage is up and their walk rate is down. So I don't know, maybe this isn't, all that great of an indicator. Although I did notice that the Cubs, their walk percentage up 2.4%. Now they did just play the Dodgers who walk a ton. So that's probably part of it. But uh, you know, the Cubs, a team where I'm looking for some regression out of that pitching staff anyway, increased walk rate, looking for some left on base percentage regression. Uh, Not really a big fan of the Cubs here this week against the Brewers uh, or in the short term. But again, as I said, a lot of this stuff could simply be dependent on who these teams have faced in the smaller sample size And that's why this is so difficult right now is that, you know, look, we had over two months of of regular data and now we've got 24 days and we're trying to compare, you know, the two time periods one over the other. So, you know, again, it, it can be a very challenging thing trying to sort of figure out what's significant and what isn't here within this data. One other thing I want to take a look at here beyond the box score is I want to look at base runs outliers. And remember, base runs, an alternate standings metric over at Fangraphs. It takes all of the individual outcomes, throws them together, removes all the context, spits out runs scored per game and runs allowed per game, comes up with a run differential, and then uses Pythagorean win-loss to put together a record. So here are some of the biggest outliers And these are important because you will see line moves in the marketplace based on these things. And in fact, we've seen a lot of money lately on the Miami Marlins. The Marlins are eight games worse than they should be if you compare their actual record and their base runs record. According to base runs, they should be 41 and 36. Instead, they only have 33 wins on the season. This is a team that, look, I mean, they're they're what, 33 and 44 is what that would be? They are plus 17 in run differential, and they are 11 games under 500. They are a massive underachiever for this season. They should be a lot better than they are. Based on their run differential, based on some of their other underlying metrics, but they're just not. And we did see a lot of money come in on them against the Nationals over the weekend, and I think that will continue to be the case, particularly when they're playing at home, where most of their pitchers are better at Marlins Park. So keep an eye out for that. I think the Marlins will take a lot of money in a lot of upcoming home games if or until this base runs thing kind of evens out a little bit. 
The Arizona Diamondbacks are minus six in base runs record, although their base runs suggest they should have an even worse run differential than they actually do. The reason why the Diamondbacks are such a big outlier here is because they are two and 18 in one run games. They are two and 18 in one run games. And usually at most, you'll see teams plus or minus five games, you know, on, on one run records, stuff like that. Uh, yeah, I, I, I don't, I don't know. I don't know how this has gotten so bad for the Diamondbacks here to be two and 18, but it just, uh, it's just the way that it's been here for them so far this season. Next on the list here is the Houston Astros. They're minus five in base runs record, and they should be 53 and 25 according to base runs. They're only quote unquote 48 and 30. But the thing for the Astros is they've won a lot of games in blowout fashion, and in particular, a lot of games lately in blowout fashion. So they've racked up a really high run differential. So it's not really a big surprise that they're kind of a laggard in the base runs department because when they play close games, you know, things are a little bit more normal for them. But they've had so many blowout wins here of late where they've scored, you know, double-digit runs and well, it was probably like six of eight games last week or something like that. So they just blow teams out a lot. So when you get blowouts, when you get some of these outliers like that Diamondbacks one-run record outlier, stuff like that, you will get some things that kind of don't line up. And that's one here where the Astros should be a much better team than they are. But a lot of that also has to do with winning games in very lopsided fashion. The Orioles, they're minus four in base runs record. They should be a 28 and 50 team. They are not. They only have 24 wins on the season. They're five and 12 in one run games. So they've had a lot of issues in those close games as well. That's something that's kind of dragged down their actual record a little bit. As far as other teams, the Jays, the Braves, and the Twins, all minus three here right now in base runs record. So really the one that you want to take away the most from this is the Marlins. The Marlins are a team that's 11 games under 500 with a positive run differential. So Pythagorean win-loss, base runs, third-order win percentage, all say that the Marlins should be a lot better than they are, and you will see line moves based on that in the marketplace. And as I said, I think it'll probably happen with Miami at home. So if you like Miami at home, play it early. If you want to fade Miami at home, wait it out because you should get a better price in that game. Now, teams that are overachieving on the base run side, the first one is the Boston Red Sox. They are seven games better than they should be, according to base runs. They are playing more like a 40 and 38 team by base runs, and their plus 42 run differential looks more like plus 11 according to base runs. So that's a really interesting one there. I don't know if it's because they're doing really well with men in scoring position or something like that. A lot of times these base run outliers have to do with cluster luck, where you're just doing really well with men in scoring position or the opposition is not. But the Red Sox look like a pretty big overachiever right now at this point in time. And we'll see if they get faded as a result here going forward. Uh, My Cleveland Indians, big overachiever this year. They have a negative run differential of minus three, but they're 41 and 33 on the season. Their base runs record is 35 and 39. So the Indians, according to base runs, are basically around the Twins and the Tigers and some of the other teams in that central division there. So they are a massive overachiever. And I talked about this on last week's show 
where not only are the Indians a big overachiever, and you could make the case that when Bieber, Plesak, and Savale get back, you know, they're obviously going to be a much better team at that point in time, and that is very true. But the Indians are about to hit a tougher part of the schedule. They play the Tigers this week. Then they play a tougher part of the schedule before the All-Star break. And now the White Sox play a bunch of nobodies. So this might be the time to buy a White Sox future because my guess is, and I think the Indians trail by two and a half right now with three games in hand. My guess is the Indians are six or seven back by the All-Star break. So this might be the time to buy a Chicago future because the Indians are the only team in their area code right now. So this might be a good time to buy that Chicago future if you see a reasonable price out there. The Brewers, they're plus five in base runs. They only have a plus 11 run differential, but they're 45 and 33. They win a lot of close games. Uh, They've got great pitching and no hitting. And that's something you can look at too. The Indians have good pitching and no hitting. And you'll get base runs outliers in that type of scenario where you're getting great pitching and no hitting because you're winning close games Doesn't really help your run differential a whole lot and all of that. So that's the story for the Brewers. And to a degree, the story for the Cubs, because they're getting decent pitching and they've been a pathetic offense for the last six weeks. According to base runs, they should be minus 21 in run differential, but they're actually plus 17. So they're overachieving by five games, according to base runs. The Mariners, 41 and 38. They are three games over 500 with a minus 40 three run differential they are 18 and seven in one run games so all of these teams red sox indians brewers cubs mariners i would expect line moves against all five of those teams as we go forward here now obviously the cubs and brewers are playing each other this week but when they're playing other teams based on where they should be according to these alternate standings metrics I would expect money to come in against the Red Sox, Indians, Brewers, Cubs, and Mariners more often than not. Make sure you email me, skatingtripods at gmail.com to get on the list for the Betters Box show notes. Definitely a good idea because I talk about a lot of things on these shows, a lot of numbers and all of that. So skatingtripods at gmail.com. Once you email me once, you're on the list for the show notes. Uh, So you don't have to keep emailing me every day for the notes. But I think it is a really helpful guide, whether you're reading along as you're following along with the show or something else. I think it's really important to get on the list for the show notes because I do have a lot of good information in here, but information that can be a little bit difficult to follow uh, in this kind of context. All right, down the line segment here. Friday, Corbin Burns took some money hosting the Colorado Rockies. That's for the Milwaukee Brewers. Not a surprise there. It was a surprise, though to see some Taiwan Walker money against Aaron Nola in Friday's game one of the doubleheader. We've seen a lot of money come in against Taiwan Walker this season. It did not happen in Friday's game, and the Mets were the right side, did win that game. So again, if you're expecting a line move and it doesn't happen or money comes in the other way, that says a lot about that game, to say the least. The Marlins took money basically all weekend long against the Nationals. They took money on Friday. That was John Lester and Pablo Lopez. They took money in Patrick Corbin and Zach Thompson on Saturday. And then Sandy Alcantara took a little bit of money against Max Scherzer on Sunday. Uh, The Nationals did win Sunday's game, but the Marlins did win two out of three in that series. And as I said, I think we'll see a lot of Marlins money coming in, especially when Lopez or Alcantara are on the mound. 
Drew Smiley and the Braves took money on Friday. That was against the Reds and Vladimir Gutierrez. The Reds, interesting, getting faded at home with Drew Smiley on the mound for the Braves. I think it's the second or third straight game we've seen money come in on Smiley. So maybe he's a Woba, an ex-Woba regression candidate. I don't know, but the market is betting on Drew Smiley here. Uh, So I thought that was kind of interesting. Saw heavy money on Chris Paddock on Friday for the Padres against the Diamondbacks. Not really a big surprise there. A little bit of money against Jake Arrieta on Friday. That was the Cubs and Dodgers. We had Dodgers run line in that one. They covered it easily. Uh, But Jake Arrieta, you know, decreased spin, decreased velocity, decreased command. I think the market should fade him quite often as we go forward here. I didn't have the heart to play it, but I did think that the line for Toronto and Alec Manoa against Matt Harvey and the Orioles was a little bit high on Friday. Manoa has been pretty inconsistent, actually, since getting the call up. And Baltimore did win that one. Kudos to anybody who picked that one off at the peak of the line because the Jays did go up a good 30 or 35 cents in that game. Also on Friday, we saw heavy Dane Dunning money. That was for the Rangers against the uh, Kansas City Royals. And it was Mike Miner in that one. Uh, but Dunning took money in that game. And in fact, we've seen a lot of Rangers money of late here. We even saw Rangers money with Brady Singer and Jordan Lyles yesterday, uh, which I didn't really expect that to happen. But I don't know why people like the Rangers. I don't. I don't see any reason to be betting on them. But there have been some line moves in the Rangers' favor out there in the marketplace. Saturday, total went down from 8.5 to 8 with JT Brubaker and Adam Wainwright in St. Louis. That was an easy winner. Wainwright is great at home and bad on the road, and we're going to see totals movement when Wainwright pitches at home. That was another one there on Saturday. As I mentioned, we saw the Marlins money coming in against uh, Patrick Corbin and the Nationals. Then the Angels in the race. That total went down from 8.5 to 7.5. Alex Cobb, Shane McClanahan in that one, and it ended 13-3. to So as I've talked about, a lot of totals money has been dead on throughout the course of the season, uh, but lately here hasn't really had quite as much success. So that'll be something to keep following out there in the betting markets. Sunday, we saw money on the Tigers and Tarek Skubal. That was against Houston and Jake Odorizzi. Excuse me. So we saw underdog Tigers money, and the total came down from 10 to 9. All of it won. 2 to 1 game. Tigers coming away with the victory there. We saw the mildest of Garrett Cole fades in the Yankees and Red Sox game on Sunday. But Garrett Cole's struggles in this post-foreign substance crackdown environment are extremely public. So a lot of people paying attention to what's happening to Garrett Cole here. So I'll be curious to see how the betting market treats him as we go forward. That will be a lot of fun to watch with his next start coming up here later on this week. Lastly, for Sunday, the Giants took some heavy money. That was Sammy Long and Cole Irvin. Uh, Didn't really work out for Giants backers there, but that was a line that jumped quite a bit in Sunday's game. As far as some Monday, Monday line moves here, a little bit of Kyle Freeland and Rockies fade money. Interestingly enough, with Tyler Anderson for the Pirates, I do not get that one at all. Tyler Anderson decreased spin rate. I've been looking to fade him, but also Kyle Freeland. His spin rates have been a little bit problematic. Velocity's been down. Interesting start time, too. You know, mid-afternoon out there in Denver, uh, but a little bit surprised to see some money come in on the Pirates there in that one. Giants money hitting the board tonight against the Dodgers. I took a piece of the Giants for today. I just thought that line was too high. Trevor Bauer on the mound for the Dodgers in that one. The total also gone up from seven and a half to eight 
So that's kind of an interesting little development there. The Angels and Yankees total has skyrocketed from nine and a half up to ten and a half. Took the first five over with Dylan Bundy and Michael King in that game. That was actually still five and a half uh, DraftKings in the ATS app when I posted it. Most places probably going to find six at this point in time. Uh, but that's a line that really did jump from a total standpoint. Very hot day in New York City, by the way. The Indians took some money against the Tigers. I'm surprised to see that one. That's Eli Morgan on the mound for the Indians. Matt Manning for the Tigers. Uh, the Indians' bullpen is well-rested, so there is that. Uh, but I was surprised to see that money come in on Eli Morgan, who has an ERA up over 10 through his first three starts. Lastly, Twins money coming in on Kenta Maeda against Lucas Giolito and the White Sox. Twins, again, positive regression team throughout most of the year. White Sox kind of fading a little bit now, at least offensively, with all the injuries that they have. So I guess I can explain that one, but you know, not a game that I'm invested in. So as I said, I got the first five over in Angels-Yankees and took a piece of the Giants at that underdog price for tonight. Lastly, let's preview the week ahead, and we start with the Pirates and Rockies. Tyler Anderson, Kyle Freeland today. Chase DeJong and uh, Herman Marquez on Tuesday. Chad Cool and John Gray on Wednesday. Got some big Rockies favorite prices coming up here on Tuesday and Wednesday. You know, the, the pathetic Pirates offense going to a good hitting environment, but, you know, will they be able to capitalize? Will they be able to cash in? I don't know. Also, the Pirates, as I mentioned, with that big strikeout decrease earlier on in the show. So their bullpen allowing more balls in play. Got to think that helps the Rockies. I like the Rockies series price here. I haven't seen one uh, as of yet. It's probably in the 145, 150 range, something like that. But I do like the Rockies to win this series. I did like the Rockies to win tonight as well. Uh, But that line move kind of scared me off a little bit on that game. Angels and the Yankees here. Dylan Bundy, Michael King on Monday. Andrew Heaney, Jamison Ty on Tuesday. Shohei Otani and Domingo Herman on Wednesday. And then Griffin Canning and Jordan Montgomery coming up in Thursday's getaway day game. You know, the Angels have a top five offense. The Yankees are making all kinds of hard contact that they really haven't had a whole lot of success with, but it's going to be very hot in the Bronx this week. Could see a high scoring series here. And I kind of wonder if maybe this is what gets that New York offense going a little bit. Thursday, Griffin Canning, worried about the velocity, worried about the spin rates. Probably a heavy price on Thursday to back Montgomery, but that might be one that I'm kind of interested in, although the Angels hitting lefties very well this season, and also the Angels, one of the best offenses in baseball with men in scoring position. So could see some high-scoring games there at Yankee Stadium this week, and as I said, maybe that's something that kind of gets that New York offense going. Cubs and the Brewers fire it up tonight. Kyle Hendricks, Freddie Peralta, Zach Davies, Brandon Woodruff, and then Jake Arrieta and Corbin Burns. You know, the Brewers up three games in this division now, and they could put some distance on it in this series. They're throwing their three best starters against the Cubs here, and the Cubs have been awful offensively over the last six weeks. I don't think they hit Peralta today. I laid the big price with Milwaukee. I don't think they hit Woodruff tomorrow. I don't think they hit Burns on Wednesday, and even if they do, Arietta's probably going to give up some runs. So not really liking this spot for the Cubs coming off of that West Coast trip out to take on the Dodgers. I think that the Brewers are in really good shape here. So I played them tonight. Tomorrow will be a big number. Wednesday will be a big number. So I'll have to see if I want to lay run lines, you know, depending on the bullpen, anything like that. But 
I don't think that this series goes well for the Cubs. So we'll see how it all plays out with that NL Central showdown. Another division rivalry here, the Giants and the Dodgers in a quick little two-gamer. Anthony DiScafani and Trevor Bauer tonight. Kevin Gaussman and Walker Bueller tomorrow night. Big games here for both of these teams because the Giants, you know, you at least want to split this series if you can. You know, don't give up any ground in the division. The Dodgers, look, there's a lot of baseball left to be played. But after what happened last week with that Padres sweep, I expect the Dodgers to be very invested in this series. The thing of it is, I don't think people realize how good the Giants are. I mean, they're a top five offense. They're a top five starting rotation. Yeah, the bullpen's not great, but they play from in front a lot. One of the best first five bets in baseball. And they've got Gaussman going on Tuesday. The Giants have been very disrespected throughout the course of this season here. I've kind of played on them a little bit more here of late. And as I said, I played on them here today. But it is amazing to me the disrespect that they have gotten this season. They are legit. There is staying power to this team. This is not a fluke. And for a while, I thought, okay, it's going to be hard for them to hang. I don't believe that anymore. This Giants team is very, very good. Very good. And they've got a smart front office. They're going to make some moves to bolster that bullpen at the trade deadline here in about a month. This Giants team is good. So we'll see how they do in this two-game series here against Los Angeles. And finally, the Padres and the Reds. Blake Snell, Tony Centian tomorrow night. Joe Musgrove, Vladimir Gutierrez on Wednesday. Chris Paddock, Luis Castillo on Thursday. As we know, the Reds offense much, much better at home. As we also know, the Padres have made a lot of hard contact this season that they have not been rewarded for. Now they're going to one of the best hitters parks in baseball. Maybe this kind of gets them kickstarted a little bit, especially in the first two games, facing a guy like Santian and facing a guy like Gutierrez. On Thursday, getting Luis Castillo, Castillo really turned it around in the month of June, pitched extremely well, kind of like the Reds on Thursday here as sort of a look-ahead play. We'll see what that line looks like, but you know, Castillo turned it around, and Chris Paddock has a very limited arsenal, gives up some home runs in a park where home runs happen, kind of like the Reds on Thursday looking ahead. But of course, we'll see what that price ends up being. Skating tripods at gmail.com to get on the list for the betters box show notes. I'll talk with Brian blessing on Tuesday about golf and the Stanley cup finals. So you can look forward to that on tomorrow's edition of ATS radio. That'll do it for me. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. And remember that you will never strike out when you're in the betters box.